Welcome to The Word Podcast, a meditative listening experience. I'm your host, Sam McCabe. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to be more connected with what we're doing here at The Word Podcast, you can like our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash the word pod or follow us on Twitter at the word pod. And if you'd like to give into what we're doing here, you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash the word pod. Finally, we'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe to our channel on iTunes as well as leave a review of what you think of the show. That'd really help um, get us more exposure and get more people meditating on the word with us. Now on to today's episode of the Word Podcast. Acts 2, 14 through 21. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and a sign of the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's Acts chapter 2, verses 20, 14 through 21. Awesome. Well, for those that are joining us this week, um, that was B.J. Thompson. He's a speaker and a life coach, and he is the director of Build a Better Us. B.J., thank you for joining us this week. Man, thanks for having me, Sam. So I love that um, scripture. Uh, I spent the last eight or nine years in the charismatic church, and that that is the scripture that is you know we go back to quite a bit. And, Absolutely. Uh, and we're coming up on the season of Pentecost here pretty shortly. Um, so talk to me about how that scripture has uh, formed you, shaped you, how it's speaking to you uh, right now. Yeah, we know that um, all scripture is profitable um, for teaching. Um, and correction and rebuke. And I believe that in many ways, um, depending on your denominational bent, that you have emphasis on certain things, right? So we mm-hmm. emphasize um, sound doctrine teaching, which is really parsing and exegesis of texts um, and academic study. Mm-hmm. Or we exalt the move of charisma and the spirit, or we exalt the liturgy, or we exalt these things. And I think what Paul would say to us um, as we get comfortable in those things, right, because we build entire denominations around them, he says, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, right? And so, Sam, one of the things I'm greatly challenged by is some of the ways we discuss one another's um, emphasis, (laughs) as if to say, this is not meaningful to the Word of God. And so, over the past few years, my background um, being a girl missionary Baptist church, um, you know, God still loves us and uses us, as you can see now, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then came 
for the last 17 years under the reform evangelical conservative kind of movement. Um, and I think in the midst of all of those things, I, I've learned um, a lot of strong doctrinal teaching. As a matter of fact, I didn't even know who Martin Luther was. You, you would not mm-hmm. believe it. First time I heard this, Sam. <laughs> Someone said, uh, Martin Luther, I was like, MLK? You mean MLK? I was like, no, Martin Luther. <laughs> There's a guy named Martin Luther, right? And it, it, it's just this, this very dense education that if you're not from um, that, that particular theological bent, you just are very unaware of what's occurring. Mm-hmm. But I think what I've been challenged with over the last few years, Sam, is that though there is a, a healthy, I believe, a, a helpful in, emphasis on understanding Pauline truth and doctrines um, of faith or grace or however you want to communicate it, there is a there is a very unspoken of relationship with the Spirit. Mm-hmm. That would transcend um, just the mentionings of Scripture. Like, how does the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, remember what Jesus said in Matthew 28, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, not the mm-hmm. Holy Bible. Um, how does the Spirit play, play have its work, and then when does it have its work? And so, yeah, that's partly why I've been challenged with this passage um, lately. What you think, Sam? Yeah, I, there's a few things. It's funny how you could read the same passage of Scripture like once a year, but where you are in life kind of informs how you interpret it differently. Or Absolutely. or maybe things jump out at you that wouldn't have jumped out at you, you know, the previous year. And you were saying something about how we kind of separate things based off of um, theological preference, and, you know, that kind of turns into denominations and things like that. But we also something that I've noticed, especially down in Texas and things like that, is we separate things based on, like, cultural preference as well. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And even, like, in the charismatic church that I was a part of, it's like the preference in how you're expressing in worship is you've placed that on the same level as your theology. And that's that can, that goes the same way, you know, I grew up Southern Baptist, and um, I remember one time I was walking around. It was midweek. I think I was volunteering at VBS. And I had a baseball hat on, and I was— Oh, you were really Southern Baptist. If you want the VBS, you're definitely SBC. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And um, I was walking around the church. I wasn't even in the sanctuary, but I was in the building with a hat on. And, you know— uh uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> Did they come chase you? Did the guards come chase you? This yeah, this this old lady gave me the what for, man. She was just, like, going at it. And I was like, here I am trying to teach kids the Bible and stuff. And, you know, it's just those things where we all have those little— things that we put our preferences on the same level as our theology. Um, But I see, you know, in the first part of this part where he's talking about what Joel says, and I will pour out my spirit on all people. And I think about how the spirits work in not assimilating all of us into one culture, but but redeeming the culture that we're in and and having, having each of us bring that to the table. Yeah, that's, so that's a great segue into what I need to say next. And so these last few years, from 2012 to 2018, mm-hmm. um, and the 2016 election, I think that one of the things that's been very interesting about the way we dialogue about race, police violence, um, gender rights, it just all these different things, I think what has become painfully um, clear is that we do not see people with the same type of similar dignity 
and worthiness as we once say we affirm human dignity, right? And so, you know, you've seen a lot of people from, you know, certain movements like the pro-life movement mm-hmm. be really challenged over these last few years to speak up um, for the rights of the rights of, you know, LGBT folks who really, I mean, in some ways need justice and need to be protected from violence, um, to speak up for the rights of uh, people of color and this their experience in law enforcement, to speak up for, you know, sexual harassment in women. Like, you just realize over these past few years that some of the things that we have declared to be all-encompassing with the value of people mm-hmm. reflecting the consistency of God has not been consistent. Yeah. And so when you go back and you read through these passages, and he says, I will pour out my flesh on all people, right? Sons and daughters, right? Mm-hmm. You, you start to realize, like, wait, do we see the Spirit of God moving on all people? Mm. Or do we believe the Spirit of God moves on certain people, right? Yeah. And, oh, yeah, so when when that conversation even as it relates to uh, race and position, do we really are we really ready to say that the wisest views of scripture come from white men? And I would say that's what James was called partiality, right? Mm-hmm. James would say that's ungodly, but when it comes to decision making, whether we believe it or not, our decision making has an implication that the only people who should be making the power decisions should be white men in this situation. And so I've been very challenged by this passage because when this move happens, there isn't a partiality. Yeah, These are the people of God surrendering to the will of God. And then I, I want to challenge someone. I want to hear your perspective on this. He said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Mm-hmm. Right? I grew up in this, this experience of faith that put uh, again. We I, I believe that there was a meaningful connection to women, but in terms of the role of my sisters being able to give a word of truth that would create transformation for even the men, um, it hasn't happened. And so I think now it says your your sons and daughters were prophesied. Now that's a question: Do we believe in women being? valid prophets to bring correction and the will of God into the world. So yeah. what do you think? <laughs> well, it, you know, I read this passage and there's a lot of like, uh, almost like mythological imagery here, but I think it could almost be boiled down to just in the last days, I will level the playing field. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I, I know you do a lot of marriage ministry stuff and you're, for those who don't follow BJ on Twitter, you need to go do that. It'll bless your life because your tweets on marriage, I'm just like sitting there and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so, that's so, that's it. That's, that's it. And, um, wow. and I can't imagine, um, uh, you know, the person who teaches me the most about life and God is my wife and, yeah. and her calling out and, you know, as this verse would say, prophesying to me who I am and, Absolutely. And what the Lord desires for my life and, and things like that. And I can't imagine having the mindset that, that you know, females can't do that or that I only need to have the, the voice of men in my life. And the voice of men in my life is important, but yeah. 
to have that be the singular thing, I mean, it's like you're kind of missing out on if if mankind is made in the image of God, I guess one would have to assume that you're missing out on half of uh, the image of God. <laughs> Absolutely. But but again, I think we ascribe to that, but we don't actually intend to do it. And we don't mm-hmm. have the relationship to reflect that. Yeah. And so though we may, again, it's the same thing with minorities. It's like you, though, you may agree you don't have any black people in your life. You don't have any leaders that you actually follow that are shaping you, that you're yielding to. You are not, you have not given yourself. Therefore, we do not have the meaning for transformation. And so the passage on Joel really says to me that God is not a God of partiality. Mm-hmm. And that the way that he sees the revival is that his revival comes through people believing him at his word, trusting him, um, Based off of the work of Christ, what does it say? We, we know that this is not whimsical, right? Verse mm-hmm. 21, it says, It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? So we're not talking about universalism, right? And we're not talking about this strange doctrine. We're saying that under the knee of Jesus, under the name of Jesus, every person shall be saved, right? Yeah. So we're not talking about works-based you know, understanding by which you earn it. We are saying that the movement, the ecclesia, right, happens when we level the playing fields, not maybe in the world, but in the walls, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> in the walls of the church, in the walls of our homes. And we give space for that type of prophecy or correction. Sam, I'm convinced one of the reasons why we don't do this, this is an aha moment for me, is we're so filled with pride and presuppositions about what we think we know, that when we're challenged with new perspectives about it, mm-hmm. our hearts are hardened towards a revised view of those things, right? Mm. <laughs> and so that's what Jesus would call a stiff-necked people. Yeah, He was, he was stiff-necked. Your heart is hardened to these things. Why? Because when you you fail to love and you fail to serve at the highest positions, you miss the clearest expressions of God, the most obvious expressions of God in front of you, right? Mm What do you think, Sam? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's so interesting to me that this passage in Joel, it's like the first half is like, in the last days, I'm going to level the playing field. The second half, and that's going to feel really really cataclysmic. Yeah. (laughs) And then it ends with, but if... If you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. Absolutely. And it's not it's not like, okay, you guys need to do this, 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 and you're going to get this, this, this. It's, yeah. I'm going to pour out my spirit. It's not like a matter of debate or I'm not asking for your opinion about these things. That's good. That's it, Sam. It's uh, not a debate. <laughs> I'm going to do, I'm going to do it. And, you know, it's going to feel cataclysmic, but kind of hold on and you'll be saved. And, uh, you know, and it's going to be confusing to the establishment. It mm-hmm. said these people are drunk. Yeah. Yeah. These people are drunk. That's an indictment. Mm-hmm. And and right these before the- this, all those people were heading to the temple, you know, all, and from all these nations, it's listing. And but for some reason, this this scenario inhibits them, even if just for a little while, it, yep. it disrupts the flow of what's happening. So can I say something to you? And I need to say this publicly. One of the greatest challenges I have is having to correct so-called gatekeepers around the movement of God and the presupposition that they already understand what's going to happen. 
Mm. There are certain colleagues of mine who, especially when we started talking about race, right, and we just started talking about the need to have a, a gospel view on it in a way that was changed, their immediate response was, that's ethnic Gnosticism, right? Mm. Now, that is a very significant charge. You cannot, <laughs> it is not something you can just say, right? But again, if you believe you're losing a sense of power and control, it may cause panic, right? Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. At what point has God called us to secure power? Jesus said, all power is in me. Mm-hmm. Right? These people are drunk is what they said. Yeah. Right? And they were not drunk. Right? And so I think one of the things we need to be very careful about is about assuming we understand how it is that the Father has worked and will work, and trying to put our own um, stamps of approval as to whether or not we should um, listen to those things. And that's why the, the Word says, test the Spirit by the Spirit. That's mm-hmm. why Jesus said, you'll know a tree by its fruit. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And so one of the things about Joel that I'm very challenged about in this passage is, I need to be very slow to say something isn't of God. Mm-hmm. I need to be very slow to say I need to test the spirit with the spirit, not yeah. based off of some of the historical preferences, right? Because these are preferences. These are the traditions of man, the religious, some of the things that came out of the religious movement of the 1980s of the U.S., some of that was the movement of man. Mm-hmm. Some of it was. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and you're kind of, well, we're kind of living in an age of seeing the... Uh the fruition or the fruits of that sort of stuff. Absolutely. 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 So what I would say is it is, it is very important that we don't be so quick to do so, to, to call out something as this is maybe you're drunk because they would have missed the movement of God in their life. Right. Mm -hmm. Because they just weren't patient enough to wait to say, Maybe God could do something outside of what I fully understand yeah. or what I have boxed him into be doctrinally, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What do you think, Sam? Well, uh, you know, you were saying <laughs> you were saying something about about these people who are calling them drunk and, and even just the religious establishment of today and our desire to hold on to power and kind of uh, remove the things that would disrupt that. You know, even mm-hmm. thinking about the story of Jesus's crucifixion, and you know, the Pharisees and the Romans, the the kind of the goal wasn't necessarily to execute him because he was healing people or because he was a good guy. It was because he was disruptive <laughs> to their mm-hmm. to their way of doing things. And mm-hmm. that's it, Sam. I think about how um, maybe the only way to really gain power in the in the way of righteousness would be kind of the Philippians 2, the voluntary setting aside of one's power and privilege. Um, yeah, the, what, I think that's a good point. I also think that it's, you know, because we read, many of us read, and my, my colleague, my, one of my peers and colleagues, Adam Thomason, has really been instrumental in his view. Mm-hmm. He said, man, you know, I think many of us read Jesus through Paul, not Paul through Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And what what I think you realize about even that view is if I'm reading <laughs> Paul through Jesus, 
Jesus said, don't cast your pearls to swine. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's very clear that the chain will happen without you. And I think that is the most challenging thing is that you will not hold on to the movement of God within the scope of your power because he is infinitely powerful and and will pour out in the last days on sons and daughters of all nations, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the things that we need to be challenged with is how much of this is swine? How much of this valuable thing? Think about throwing a pearl before a swine is significant because a pearl has a value. Mm-hmm. It's substantial value, right? But the value is determined um, that can can be seen and shared by the billions of people on the planet. But to the pig, it's just another rock. To the pig, it's it's just something to put in his mouth. To the pig, it has no value. And I think sometimes we give valuable perspectives to people who don't even care about it. It mm-hmm. it doesn't even matter how much you said it or what it is. I think they need to be prophesied against and let them know God will remove you from those things. Ask Caiaphas, right? And so it's challenging because the high priest of that time— mm-hmm of Jesus' time and of the the Pentecost of that time in Acts 2, they were not being invited into this conversation, right? Mm-hmm. So like if, we, if we're making textual observation, the religious establishment of the time were not invited into this conversation. Mm-hmm. And yet God moved mightily in yeah. this place, in this room, without their permission, mm-hmm. right? And that's, that's kind of I'm, unnerving if I'm, you're the one who's sitting in the establishment. Absolutely. <laughs> Go ahead, Sam. So I, I know that um, you were a part of a large group of people who went to the, the MLK 50 thing in Memphis. Yeah. So yeah. I'd love to hear kind of your firsthand thoughts and accounts of, of that in light of what we've been talking about so far and yeah. and God pouring his spirit out on all people. And, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that MLK 50 is very significant, is extremely significant because it is it is a sober reflection of the work that has been done and the work that needs to happen, right? Mm. But it also captures the failures of those who have professed Jesus Christ along the, alongside the legacy of King. One of the things I'm disappointed with with many of my colleagues who are white evangelical conservatives is though they affirm the Christian legacy of King, sometimes they have the audacity to try to say his theology was off, right? Mm. Now, what's unnerving about that, Sam, is one, and this is a fun fact, at the time, as a person of color, he couldn't get into those same seminaries, right? Like, yeah. No one ever tells you this, right? Like he was unallowed to go to those densely, you know, academic seminaries that they were attending to learn these doctrines, right? Mm-hmm. Second of all, your view on evolving view on God doesn't entail your salvation, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you look at the woman at the well; she she barely had any view, a correct view on God, and yet Jesus set her free. Right, yeah. <laughs> and she became a prophet to the world. 
And I think what's challenging is that as we talk about the legacy of MLK being a Christian legacy, somehow or another, and I don't mean to be abrasive by saying this, somehow or another, we need a white male or perspective to somehow center itself as being the right perspective, even though having spent 50 something years in silence. Mm. Right? Yeah. And so what I would say is, not just in Memphis, but just collectively, I think we need to be very careful. It's all sons and daughters. The spirit is going to be poured upon, poured upon. And I think instead of us being so quick to be defensive about those things in a way that removes power, because that was literally what happened in King's day. King removed the power from the establishment of that time. Mm-hmm. And then they said what he was doing was not valid, right? Yeah. And so my reflective thoughts is we need to check ourselves in that aspect. And there needs to be not just introspection, that needs to be a new redirection of how we experience these things and we speak of these things. Mm-hmm. Because the legacy is a Christian legacy. That's what it is. Yeah. We, I mean, we said the same thing for John Calvin and Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, who owned people and slaves. We're teaching him in the seminaries right now, mm-hmm. right? As a model of what it means to walk with Jesus, right? But no it's one like, would say like, "Oh well, their theology," or "or we're not sure no, if they we're not, not sure if they were if they were you know if they made it." <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly right, and yeah. you should, and you <laughs> should ask that question, right? Yeah. And I only say that to say there's a partiality that exists in the Christian culture and community that is not of God, that's being paraded around as godly. Um, and so if you're asking me my perspective, I believe that many you know, diverse people came together to celebrate, sing, to confess. Um, we got to see the older and the younger of different arenas um, and try to speak to what God has on his heart and his mind. So it was a great time, but one of my greatest concerns is the work being undone in some regard, right? Mm-hmm. Because folks don't realize they are not willing to relinquish the power, quote unquote, to make themselves be right, though we're in the process of confessing, right? Yeah. So that would be my encouragement mm. for those who uh, participate or involved in those things. So it seems like, based off of what you were saying, that you know, there's the part in scripture where it talks about loving in word and in deed. Yeah, that we have the word. We're getting the word part down, but the deed part for those within the establishment or those who you know have the spotlight, the indeed part is is maybe uh, is lacking, so to speak. And and I yeah. think about what the MLK thing and how you know there's people you know we might not agree theologically with every point that he held at the time of his death, though I don't really agree with every theological point that I held a year ago. Absolutely. Um, so it's not—it's <laughs> not really acknowledging kind of a person's theological progression through their life, but also it's like, well, you know, if theology is also about what you're doing, because you you always do what you really believe, then then are we really in a position to criticize his theology if Absolutely. we if we ourselves aren't doing anything? Absolutely. Let me say something just just to bring clarity. 
I believe that it is very possible for us to be both celebratory and objective about mm-hmm. people's lives in ways that we mine the lessons out of them, right? It says that the sins of your forefathers is, is communicated through scripture, right? It's like you didn't look at it. You just you glaze over it. I guess what I'm challenging is this. When you look at it, King operated much more out of the spirit of God than the people, his colleagues at the time mm-hmm. who could not stomach him, right? Also, his use of the of the word is a Christian movement. Yeah. And I think what's challenging about it is because up until this point, we have not fully embraced that in our churches and congregations. We don't use it. We, you know, we celebrate this month based off of it in our seminaries and theological training, even in our graduate work, it, it just never comes up. Right. It's just, it's a special study. It's not a central theme mm. that helps us understand God in a way that's meaningful. And I think that is a gross mistake. But I also think it's the outworking of centuries of white supremacy, right? Mm. And I don't mean the Ku Klux Klan. I mean cultural, positional, economic, disadvantaging for the sake of putting yourself first, Mm. right? And so just to be hopeful, and I'll turn a corner here into some hopefulness. When I, and Yeshua said this, he said, the greatest of all will be the servant of all, right? Part of the, the onus of us at the church and what I've seen is that when I recognize what, for whatever reason, whether inherited or whether merited, mm-hmm. I have position as a Christian, the greatest, right? Mm-hmm. The greatest of all shall be become the servant of all. Um, that's when I really look to serve. That's when I'm really looking to give. That's when I'm really you know, posturing myself in those ways because that is the mirror of only God's grace being exalted among his people. And so I think soberly what we can do as a people is, you know, when we do recognize we have some position. So I recognize I have position, you know, I have um, privilege, I'm sorry, over women. I take it upon myself to give them space to speak, mm-hmm. to lead, um, to I default to my sisters in those moments. Uh, I may be on a panel, I may be in a session, I may be in an interview. I'll default to them because they have a weighted perspective that needs to be heard. Yeah, um, I do not need to be the person that speaks. I need to check my own misogyny. I need to remind myself that my sister is made in the image of God, and in the last days. He will pour out his spirit on them. So I need to listen to God speaking through his spirit in them, Mm -hmm. right? Not just what I see in me. And I think this is where the church lives in revival. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're willing to not just give lip service, but to redirect our postures and our lives that reflect a humility and a greater love for others. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. You know, just to, for those listening, kind of, uh, here's something that happened in my own life that was kind of uh, in that same vein. Uh, my wife and I used to um, run a youth and young adults department in a church, and so every Monday night, every Wednesday night, we were teaching and, and all that sort of stuff. And when we were first starting out, um, on the uh, the nights that my wife was teaching, I would get up and intro her oh. and um, and introduce her and all that stuff, and then... 
she would teach and, and preach and stuff. And then I would get up after her and kind of like sum it all up, you know, and I did that for probably a few weeks, maybe a few months. And after a while, she kind of pulled me aside and she was like, why do you do that? <laughs> That's so funny. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, why do you feel the need to do that? Wow. And I was like, do what? And she's like, do you not feel like God can use what I said? Do you not feel like it was enough that you had like that you have to come in and and like put the period on the statement? Good. And at that moment I was like, "Oh my gosh." <laughs> it's that, you know, it's so it can be so subtle sometimes, but but to the people on the receiving end of it, you know, it's it's speaking that like your your voice, while it may matter, it doesn't matter as much. Absolutely. Or, or I'm thinking about like that George Orwell book, Animal Farm, where it says uh, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal. Like, um, and and how doing that, and I and it's funny when we go places now, we look for that, and and that was a few years ago, and I'm like intentionally in in moments like that, though they don't have it as much like. I'm just going to give her the full space. Like That's I don't it. I don't need to I don't need to say anything or add anything to make sure that people understand what was said. Like she's more than capable and competent to do that. But we actually look when we go different places like to see if that kind of stuff happens because it's yeah. subtle, you yeah. know. But it yeah, it, it speaks subtle. volumes. And Sam, imagine if she brought that issue up to you and you said, "Babe, I feel like you're being taken over by secular humanism." Mhm. Babe, I believe that, you know, radical feminism is <laughs> is starting to rise up in you. Yeah, you're babe, becoming a liberal. <laughs> you're becoming a liberal. Yeah. You're becoming a communist. This is, babe, this is communism, right? Yeah, uh-huh. I think it takes those in positions of power when they are corrected. Mm-hmm. To yield themselves and to not be quickly defensive, right? And the only thing that can happen is if you have an ingrained humility— that yeah. will allow Jesus to redirect you in those things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so one thing that I'm convinced of is that I have to let Jesus de- redirect me. And it's not just with my, you know, my sisters. It's with my wife. Mm-hmm. It's not just with my wife. It's with my children. It's not just with my children. It's with my peers. It's not just with my peers. It's with my colleagues and, and my contract. It's like I have to let Jesus redirect me. Yeah, And I cannot be the central theme. And this is my challenge for all of my white colleagues. They're so accustomed to being the central understanding outside of just race, right? I'm mm-hmm. like, let's put race aside. There's a lot of issues you don't really understand. And you need to humble yourself enough to know, yourself enough to know, man, I have been overtaken by white supremacy. <laughs> the mm-hmm. assumed posture that says i know it just give me a little bit on the side and i'm saying that posture kills koinonia that posture kills true fellowship that Mm -hmm. posture kills true unity and there in that posture we do not get to see the witness of the church in the gospel Mm -hmm. through love and through service in those last days i will pour out my spirit on both sons and daughters right and so I think, to me, this passage on Joel reminds me to live 
in the spirit, mm-hmm. to engage people with the spirit, to look for the spirit, and then listen, and then to test the spirit by the spirit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not just listening. I am testing the spirit by the spirit, and I'm looking for things based off of the fruit it produces. I shall know a tree by its fruit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, well, BJ, thank you so much for uh, joining us today on the show. I really, really enjoyed our conversation and uh, love to have you back. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Sam. Appreciate yeah. it, bro. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, if y'all want to follow me, make sure you hit me up at, um, you can visit our website, um, buildabetterus.com. Um, also, you can follow me online and social media at BJ116, pretty <laughs> much any social media. You can follow me there. Love to connect with you. Awesome. Sweet. Well, thanks, man. I I really appreciate it. Thanks, bro. Thanks, Sam. If you enjoyed this episode of The Word Podcast, which I hope you did, you can go like our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash The Word Pod or follow us on Twitter at The Word Pod. If you'd like to give into what we're doing here, you can also check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash The Word Pod. We're going to have exclusive content from each episode that we'll be posting there for those who would like to give. Lastly, if you would be so kind as to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and leave a review, that would be much appreciated. All right, well, that does it for this episode of The Word Podcast, and we will see you next week. Grace and peace.